we're delighted to let you know that the CL Podcasts are officially sponsored by our partners Rice Up. Rice Up, healthy and functional snacks. Welcome to Food for Thought, the CL Podcast. We will always need to eat, so farming and food processing will always have a future. But the changes impacting these sectors are huge. At a time of transitions, reinventions and global social responsibility, CL Paris is reaffirming its ambition by uniting food professionals around the major transformations taking place in the industry. I'm David Addison, and in this edition of Food for Thought, we will hear from Jean-Francois Archambault of Table des Chefs and his vision to reduce food waste. In addition, we will take a look at what else is happening in the industry. Heineken has formed a long-term strategic partnership with Dutch airline KLM to generate a sustainability initiative in which Heineken and Heineken 0.0 beer on KLM flights and in lounges will be brewed with 100% green energy. Since 2010, the brewer has been working to reduce CO2 emissions in the Netherlands. Advances have included the introduction of wind turbines and solar panels, together with the supply of biogas from the company's own wastewater treatment plants at two of its breweries. In July 2020, the beer giant announced that its Heineken brand beers brewed for the Dutch market would be made using only green energy. The promise forms part of the company's commitment for its own production to be climate neutral by 2030 and by 2040 across its supply chain. Chemical use in food production in the European Union could be reduced thanks to new rules that make it easier for biopesticides to be used instead. Countries in the 27-member bloc have given the green light for measures that will make it easier for farmers to use plant protection products that contain microorganisms as an alternative to chemicals. Fewer animal experiments may be carried out as a result of the changes according to the European Commission. The Commission says that the loosening of the regulations, something that ties in with promises under its farm-to-fork strategy, will make it easier for farmers to use sustainable methods to protect crops by giving a faster green light to the use of microorganisms and plant protection products that contain them. If there is no objection by the European Parliament, the new acts on microorganisms are likely to become law in the fourth quarter of this year. It comes at a time when the EU, through its farm-to-fork strategy, is aiming to increase the amount of food in the block that is produced organically. Now, food waste has become a major topic of discussion of late, as has how we combat it. In Canada, there is an initiative called Recuperation Alimentaire that is spreading globally, headed by Jean-Francois Archambault, the general director and founder of La Table des Chefs. I spoke to him about his vision and his determination to help people. Uh, Jean-Francois, you once said you dreamed of a world in which everyone had enough to eat, but now it seems there's almost too much food. Yeah, the problem is um, the access to food. Mm. Um, and the, the food that's in excess um, is um, in part not, not reaching the people that need it the most. Um, and uh, when you look at uh, food insecurity, also the dimension of um, food literacy, that's really important in terms of getting the the right knowledge and skills um, to be able to know what to do with the food that you get uh, or the food that you source uh, to feed your family. So um, uh, we are working a lot on uh, the food waste issue to make sure that food uh, 
that's in excess and that's edible and that's healthy is reaching people that need it most. But also we work on the second hand on prevention and uh, that's why our food literacy programs in high schools reaching youth and at-risk youth in youth services organization is key. It goes hand in hand. And maybe the other thing is that uh, food waste is a real issue by itself. It's uh, uh, food, food waste, reducing food waste uh, and driving it towards food insecurity doesn't solve food insecurity. Mm-hmm. So food insecurity it has other dimension and that needs to be addressed by itself. Uh, but I would say right now, all that food that can be saved should be driven towards uh, the reduction of food insecurity. How are you trying to combat food waste then? You know, we we can tackle it from different angles. Um, the first one is, is, is one that I addressed when I was a student at uh, the culinary school. Um, and I saw a tremendous amount of food in the preparation process mm-hmm. uh, of the learning process of, of uh, learning how to cook, you know, in, in a culinary school. Um, and multiplying it by the number of schools I knew existed just in the province of Quebec, uh, where, we, where we originated the project sure. in Montreal. And um, we would prep around the food for about 80 people, and we were about 20 students. And we would, after, put that and taste, you know, to see how well we did. And then more than half of the food after that was thrown away. And that was uh, at the end of the 90s, 1997, when I I was a student by then. And when I reached the end, and and food food recovery or food food distribution of, of excess food was not something... Uh, fighting food waste was not a popular subject at the time, early 2000. Uh, I started working in the hotel industry and I saw the same thing. When I came to, uh, I was working in sales in the hotel industry after uh, in, in a large uh, uh, venue uh, that had a lot of weddings and a lot of events. And I saw uh, the same amount and even more food thrown away, food that was pretty good, like we would eat it after and and food that everybody would have brought back home and we couldn't. So it was thrown away in, in garbage cans and I, I could not believe this. So um, when you think about uh, that first and how it originated, uh, it was about how come a chef that's so passionate about food would even think about wasting food and not giving it to organization that fight, that's fight, that fight uh, food insecurity. So for me, it was a, ma- a matter of saying they don't do this, this on purpose. They're just closing their eyes, you know, and they're not looking at it because it is suffering when you, when you start thinking about you get your staff in at seven in the morning, you prep food all day, you prepare for these large events on a Saturday and you get 2000 people in the place. And then after, uh, you know, 30%, 40% of the food that you prepped in the, since the morning in front of your eyes gets thrown back into the garbage. Could you believe that? Imagine an architect or imagine a, 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 you build this uh, Formula One race car and, and, and then you put it into a wall, you know, a, a, after one drive. It's, it's crazy to think that. So for me, it didn't make sense. And so that's, that's why I investigated. And I had the chance that my father 
was the legal advisor to the chef's community in, in my province, in the province of Quebec. So he was the legal advisor to over a thousand cooks and chefs. So um, I, I reached out to him and I said, hey, dad, how come everybody's telling me that they think they're liable if they, they, they do food poisoning or someone gets sick from distributing that excess food and, and then liability uh, issue gets, uh, they get uh, sued uh, and the reputation of the hotel gets uh, in the paper and they get a bad reputation. You know, the, that was the, the situation. When I reached out to my general manager at the, at the time, back in 2000, um, and I wanted to do something about it. I was 24 years old. I, I came to his office and I said, hey, sir, you know, I know you're a very generous man. You know, you give the, the linens, you, you give the mattresses of uh, once they're, you know, they're still good and you give them to organization. What about the food, sir? You know, and, and he said, uh, it's too risky. Uh, I, I'm not going to put and gamble 30 years uh, building the reputation of this establishment. And I said, well, sir, you could, we could do it safely. You know, we could, we could do something about it. And he said, go back to work. You know, it's not <laughs> something that I'm going to change. So uh, that's where I went to work for Fairmont mm-hmm. uh, in Tremblant in a ski resort uh, because I, I'm a skier and I wanted to experience working in the hotel industry, but in a ski resort. And then I met Chef Laurent Mio, who uh, was the first one who got interested in what I was doing. Uh, he was our executive chef at the Fairmont Tremblant at the time. Okay. And started discussing with the GM, and that's where we got the idea of of putting together the food recovery program that we drive now in over 200 establishments across Canada, recovering over uh, a million meals uh, that we send back to community organizations fighting food insecurity. Now, your initiative, Recuperation Alimentaire, tell us about that and how that works and how people get involved. So we are the missing link, you know, uh, chefs were there, they, they had the willingness, uh, we had to cover the liability issue. So the Good Samaritan Act that's built into the civil code, which my dad helped me to identify, um, is built into the civil code uh, of all uh, the, the, uh, the provinces, the Canadian provinces. So every province has that Good Samaritan Act that says basically you need to, su- to support someone in need. And you are not liable if uh, you are giving food to someone in need or or provide shelter. Um, so um, we had to share that message. So we started sharing the message with culinary schools, teachers, uh, cooks all over. Uh, but still, it was hard, you know, because I was working full time in the and the food recovery program uh, needed time to go and sit down with a chef and and talk with that chef and and uh, you know. Tell him and and having something that was turnkey, something that that could be uh, so easy that it's a no brainer. You know, they just get into it and they put it in place. So basically, looking at the logistic between the the donor and the receiver. So the donor being the hotel or the venue or the sports venue, um, and the receiver, who's the community organization coming to pick up the food. So the process is basically providing the right type of containers, putting in place the logistics, taking care of that liability issue by signing an agreement with the donor and the receiver so that they respect uh, uh, food security, food safety uh, measures uh, and regulations, and then uh, connecting them together. So we're connecting the community organization with a hotel or a sports venue with the culinary team, 
and we make sure that that connection uh, sticks together yeah. and that the food flows. The food go goes from A to B and in a, in a safe way. Uh, so we thought about all the process and the food recovery program is really implementing that process in as many uh, organizations as possible to recover the most food, you know. So sure. that's what we're we're doing right now. Uh, how far does this program stretch? Are we just talking your province? Are we just talking Canada? Or is it being able to, to extend further afield? So right now, uh, we're we're scaling across Canada. Uh, to give you an example, we started, the first place where we recovered food was at the Bell Centre, where the Montreal Canadiens are, are playing. Um, the past president of the Montreal Canadian, Pierre Boivin, at the time, back in 2004, uh, got me in his office and said, we're throwing away about nine tons of food that I know is edible, uh, and I want you to help me. So I started working with their culinary team and we put in place the structure to recover the food and uh, get it to the Welcome Hall mission, which is one of the largest uh, organization uh, working with the um, uh, homeless uh, population in Montreal, uh, just 15 minutes from the Bell Center. So we put in place that logistic and now it's been uh, scaled at the Scotiabank Arena where the Maple Leafs are playing in Toronto and the, the, the Raptors. We're doing it at the Stampede in Calgary at the Commissary Kitchen at the Stampede. We're doing it in large convention center. We're scaling this project, uh, you know, for sure in Quebec, we have over 150 establishments that, that are certified and that are doing this on a, a regular basis, uh, from sports venue to convention center to the Formula One Grand Prix. Really? Just the, just the last edition, when we were able to host it, uh, you know, we recovered 12 tons of food in a single weekend. Uh, wow. on the site of the Grand Prix, imagine. And then, uh, so we, we scale this to the tennis competition, to any big event that has a lot of catering happening in a short time, short period, short window, and that, you know, the chef and the culinary team is happy that he doesn't have to get that back to his, to his hotel or throw it away. So that's how we scaled. And we scaled also in France, we're present in France through a great partnership with my good friend Vincent Brassard, who is the, the director, executive director and, and co-founder of La Table des Chefs in France. Uh, we, we did this together. And Vincent uh, used to work in, in the catering business, uh, renting equipment and, and all that. And he saw the same thing I saw. And, and seeing that, he reached out to me. And when I uh, joined him in France, in Paris, uh, in an omnivore uh, um, um, uh, gala um, weekend uh, happening in Paris, I, I was with a, a, community, a group of chefs from Quebec. And I met with Vincent uh, back in 2010. And, and we... Uh, signed an agreement together and I, I mentored him to start and kick off La Table in France. And now uh, he's engaging in all the, the different angles of La Table, fighting food waste, but also uh, in the food literacy programs that are getting, uh, uh, that are scaling pretty fast all, all over France. 
Is surplus food a, a domestic problem, or is it mainly coming from you've talked about events or or, or restaurants? You know, is is it a, an issue for domestic users because of the amount of food that comes within a, a, a package? You might want, I don't know, two burgers, and there are four in the packet, and then you you, you end up with a problem that way. So, is it something that a, a domestic user can can help with? Oh yeah, for sure, because uh, almost half of of the food wasted is wasted at home really so when you look at that stat uh, knowledge and skills is for me uh cooking uh knowing how to process that food or or prep that food so that you're not wasting it mm -hmm. knowledge about uh you know is it still good uh, you're looking at something that you left a little too long in the fridge and you're wondering if it's still good what do I do? You know, uh, a lot of people will throw things that are still good because they don't know what to do with it. You know, they just they're just not used to cooking, and they probably had the the original idea of of uh, eating it earlier on in the week uh, in in a way that they knew how to handle it, and now they're ending up at the end of the week, the or two weeks after, end of. We know that it's still good because we we know how to prep it. Maybe we take a couple of layers out, and we get the we get to the core, and we're not losing everything, sure. uh, or we're integrating it in a soup or in a stew or in a in a in a chili bowl or something else that we spin it, and we're able not to waste. And so that knowledge is key, and that's why we're engaging in the high schools to the next generation of consumers who are the teenagers. Uh, hopefully getting that knowledge and skill level higher so that when they face that choice or that situation, they know what to do. They know the, they know and are able to get creative and reduce that, that amount of food. And also, I would think in the buying process, maybe buying less, but buying uh, more often, going to the, sh to the grocery store twice a week instead of just once a week and packing that fridge, you know, on the Sunday, make sure you're not uh, missing every anything. Uh, maybe you go back twice. Maybe you do a, a first gro a grocery shopping and then you go back to complete it uh, along the way during the week uh, as you see what's missing, you know? What advances in technology are helping with food waste, if any? I think there's a lot of apps, you know, out there that that are are doing a good job. I think uh, there's a couple of good projects out there, but I I think basically it's pretty simple. It's just not, you know, when you're talking about habits, habits are hard to change, you know. Yes. So I I think it's about changing our habits, and that's why it's so hard. That's why you know. It, as as life is going so fast, you know, the wheel is spinning for everyone, you know, yeah, families, we, we have five kids at home, so it goes pretty fast, you know, we have young twins, uh, two years old, and we, you know, it's it's going like that for a lot of people, and so changing your habits in the course of, of, of having to manage everything is hard, but it's there that we have to attack it, because if we're able to change the habits, that's where really we're going to see a shift and a change. Um, I really think that uh, uh, your kid coming to you and to a parent and asking them or 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 telling them uh, something that they know but that they're not doing is really something powerful. 
you know, with, when my eight years old comes to me and say, hey, dad, how come you didn't put that in the re recycling bin, you know, or how come you, you didn't use that part of the of the veg, you know, you're 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 you are normally using it. Oh, yeah, you're right. Why didn't I why did I throw it away? You know, or uh, I did, you know, and then your kid shows you how to do it. I think that's pretty powerful. And I think that, you know, yes, technology, but, you know, technology is going faster than we even are able to you know, think about it, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, so I, I, I would slow it down, you know, uh, not stop it because I think there's great innovations, but I think that let's do the basics first. Let's, mm -hmm. let's try to change the habits, uh, before we move in and take the technology, uh, to go even further, because I think that technology can bring us further, but we first have to change our habits and that's basic stuff, you know, that's yeah. stuff that will come from, you know, having a family conversation about food waste, having a family conversation about uh, recycling and making sure the environment, uh, the footprint that we have as a, as a household is, is better, you know. You're championing this initiative. There's education that's clearly a key part. But what about uh, a government involvement and support? How, how involved is, is the government becoming? Yeah, I, I think uh, at a certain level, you know, I started this project back. I founded the organization back in 2001. Um, and it's it's been quite a journey. Um, for sure, uh, when you reach a certain level um, and you reach advocacy and you reach like uh, public policies and you're able to uh, engage into conversation with key leaders, uh, political leaders and, and, and change makers, I think, uh, you, you build credibility around the movement that you support, you bring uh, the chef's community behind you, you bring the food industry around the project. That's where you can reach a point where you really can create an impact. And that's really what, through building La Table's movement, and Vincent is doing the same thing in France and, and is getting a lot of success because we share, you know, best practice and we share together the strategy about mobilizing uh, our, our political leaders and the ones that we think can, uh, you know, really move uh, towards towards policies. So I've been involved in, in the food policy, both on the province uh, side in, in Quebec mm -hmm. uh, uh, with the Ministry of Agriculture, uh, André Lamontagne in Quebec. But also, I've been invited to reach the food, the Canadian Food Policy uh, Steering Committee uh, with Minister Bibo, who's who leads Agriculture Canada. So okay. you know, I, I've been I've been privileged because uh, we're, I'm dedicated to what I do. I'm passionate about what I do, mm. as you can as you can see. Sure. But also knowledgeable. I think mm. you have to be credible. You have to be. Uh, uh, you have to know what you're talking about, and you need to have uh, a track record that proves that what you are talking about, you're actually doing it, you know, and that comes back to the habits that I've been talking about, you know, if you're able to change your habits and, and bring that into, you know, uh, be the change you want to see in the world, which is my motto, you know, it's, it's something that, that I, I truly believe is showing your kids by doing it yourself. And, and, and if you want to, if you're asking someone to do it, you need to be doing it first, you know. So that's that's leadership, and that's how I engage into trying to change our part, you know, of, of what we're doing. For sure. Last question: What one thing can each of us do uh, in order to make a difference? Um, starting small, you know, uh, starting s small steps, you know. Uh, s 
you get a hang of it. You know, you're gonna you're, you're gonna not thinking that this is a big mountain and that you can't do anything about it. You know, when you're looking at the numbers, it can be terrifying. You know, you look at these numbers, you we're never gonna be able to do it. You know, but it's like it's like uh, yeah. you know getting in shape or trying to if you need to train every day and you think oh my god i need to train every day you know it's a but just put in one training a week and then two and then three you know step by step mm. you know i think people can create make change in their everyday life uh by doing simple things and i would say getting everybody involved so that you don't feel you're alone doing it you know as a family like i said if you have a family discussion and you're engaging everybody you feel this is a group action and it's something that everybody embraces and that's that's how we can really create uh, create change i think fantastic jean-francois thank you very much for talking to us thank you and to learn more visit tabledeschef.org <laughs>Heinemann is offering the product, the first from William Grant in the ultra-low alcohol segment, in five key European duty-free air getaways. They are Frankfurt, Amsterdam, Hamburg, Berlin and Copenhagen airports. Atopia is bottled at 0.5% ABV and is available in its original spiced citrus flavour for travel retail, a line first launched in domestic markets in June 2019. The slow move into airports probably reflects the COVID pandemic, during which travel numbers collapsed and new airport launches were curtailed as a result. William Grant, best known for its famous whiskies like the blended scotch, Grant's, and single malts, Glenfiddich and the Balvenie, is also a newcomer to the no-low alcohol segment, another reason for caution. As shoppers spend ever-increasing amounts on grocery and meal delivery apps, a new trend has emerged in Europe the platforms that cater to specific communities, typically offering food that is less widely available in the countries where they operate. These services have attracted vast amounts of funds from investors, with the online food sector offering significant scope for growth. Among the apps that have attracted headlines is Oja, which, it was announced in November, had secured $3.4 million, 2.97 million euros in pre-seed funding. Based in London, OJA is aimed at African and Afro-Caribbean communities in the UK, and its initial focus is on London. With a name that means market in Nigerian, it represents an online equivalent of the many specialist food stores across the UK that also offer African and Caribbean food. However, the intention of OJA, which operates under the phrase everything that tastes like home delivered, is to broaden out and to offer foods of interest to other communities in London, which is a famously diverse city. In broadening its range of foods, it is mirroring the actions of some other specialist online food services. Greenland and the UK have begun discussions on a trade deal that could lead to the removal of tariffs on seafood sold between the two countries. 
Cold water shrimp sales from Greenland to the UK were worth £49 million, 57.9 million euros in 2020, almost five times as much as all other trade put together. A deal with Greenland will be a boost to our fish and seafood processing sector, a key industry for Yorkshire and Scotland, Anne-Marie Trevelyan, the UK Secretary of State for International Trade, said in a statement. The trade agreements, she continued, we have agreed so far with 70 countries will help us level up every part of the UK. Greenland's fishing fleet includes a mix of small vessels and larger ships. Tariffs on products such as prawns and cod fillets from Greenland can be up to 20% and British officials say cutting them could reduce the prices paid by consumers. In return for cutting tariffs on seafood, the UK is hoping that British fishing vessels will gain the right to fish in waters belonging to the ice-covered island nation, which is part of the Kingdom of Denmark. International spirits group Quintessential Brands has opened a novel spirits centre as part of efforts to drive more collaboration with retailers and other partners as the trend for customisation and individual creations increases in the liquor space. The centre, located in Warrington in England, which is situated between the commercial hubs of Liverpool and Manchester, is described by Quintessential as a first-of-its-kind innovation designed to push insight-driven new product development within spirits. Thanks to the relaxation of COVID restrictions in the UK, this is the first time that the facility, open late last year, can host customers at full capacity, said a company spokesman. The appetite for new, high-quality innovation within the spirits business is growing, and the new spirits centre gives quintessential brands the ability to create a variety of liquids and packaging solutions tailored to the latest trends for customers in all channels and at speed. The aim of the centre is to involve customers through every step of the journey if they want. They can work on location with the quintessential team who can provide market insights that are tailored to the various opportunity within spirits, some more lucrative than others. They can then work alongside the company's liquid development team on flavour profiles. Quintessential, which produces and distributes spirits brands including Green Alls, Original London Dry Gin and the Dublin Irish Whiskey, claims that after just one day at the centre, customers will be able to walk away with a fully mocked-up sample of their product in hand. This will greatly speed up the NPD process and bring those tailored lines to consumers at pace. Global food retailer Carrefour has established a joint venture called Brut.shop with French digital media company Brut with the aim of becoming a leader in social commerce live shopping in France. Last year, the Grocery to Electricals Group, with €78.6 billion Euros revenue in 2020, ran nearly 50 live shopping events, but the new tie-up will be on a much grander scale. The Brute.shop website will enable users to make online purchases while taking part in frequent video events live-streamed on social networks and likely fronted by social influencers. No launch date for the site has been announced yet. The joint venture will be majority owned by Brut, claimed to be Europe's leading live shopping event organiser with 70 million users. Brut accounts for 39% of the media market on social networks in France and says it reaches everybody between the ages of 18 and 34. In France, 60% of Carrefour customers say they are interested in live shopping. In addition, the company says that fast-moving consumer goods brands indicate that they are interested in these sessions as they are recruiting a new young customer base and increasing engagement. Whether this new community shopping experience can generate growth and value for both companies remains to be seen, but the outlook is positive. Social commerce is one of the big drivers of e-commerce.
It takes advantage of the current consumer obsession with social media and the desire to interact with brands. That's it for this edition of Food for Thought, the CL podcast. Feel free to like, share and comment on the podcasts and keep an eye on the CL newsroom with news for Europe, Asia and the Americas. For now, from me, David Addison, it's goodbye. Thank you.